As I mentioned earlier, today we celebrate the feast of the baptism of our Lord. It's one of the days when we might have an actual baptism as a way to recreate that scene of Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan. But today there is no baptism. And in fact, there's no one here except those who speak or sing or play or have some other role in the service. It's hard to explain how soul-deadening it is to perform our sacred rituals in an empty room and a distant camera. Yes, COVID-19 has struck again. During our staff meeting this week on Wednesday, we collectively realized that having in-person services right now was not appropriate. Our skyrocketing case counts, near misses among our staff, and a highly contagious variant led us to make that heartbreaking decision. It sent the staff and Reverend Peggy and I into deep despair, which was evident in our Epiphany Eve service on Wednesday and continues on into this morning. Our sacrament is grounded in a deep need to be in community, surrounded by those we love. This sense of being separated led me to today's first reading from Isaiah. The Israelites, a proud people chosen by God, well, they're in despair, mired in exile in Babylon with no sign of return. And the prophet Isaiah, normally quick to attack them for their manifold sins, relents this morning and gives them cause for hope. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. But it's hard to have hope. For the Israelites in exile, for us in perpetual anxiety and imminent lockdown, the Israelites are probably thinking, if God is with us, then why are we in exile? They might even worry that another nation has taken their place in God's heart. According to the prophet Isaiah, what we need to hear, what they need to hear, and what we need to hear as well, is how God gives us identity and value. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. For the Israelites, passing through water was a fearful thing, with memories etched into their very being. The waters of chaos being tamed in creation, the towering waters of the Red Sea parted around them, Jonah in the belly of the whale, and even the crossing of the River Jordan on their way into the Promised Land. God being with them is the only thing they can count on, especially now, stuck as they are on the banks of the Euphrates River, far from home. Because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Now Luke tells us something similar. You are my son, the beloved in whom I am well pleased, after Jesus' baptism and prayer, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And when you think about it, baptism is scary stuff, spiritually speaking. We descend into a kind of death, and we emerge through the waters, joined in the resurrection. And this morning we reflect on Jesus' baptism and our own, and what they mean during difficult times. But first, we have to deal with the difficult question, I think, of why Jesus needed to be baptized at all. See, it's a baptism of repentance, and we're told, and even repeat in our Eucharistic prayer, that he was fully like us, fully human, but without sin. So why be baptized? Jesus' baptism is also a centerpiece of Matthew and Mark's Gospels. 
but none told with such precision and economy as Luke's. And it's the nuances that make this telling so profound. See, the baptism is followed by a lengthy genealogy, one that opens in ambiguity. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Haley. And that parenthetical note that in the gospel speaks volumes. And it ends in tragedy. Son of Seth, son of Adam. You see, Seth was the replacement child born following the murder of Abel by Cain. Jesus was born from as well as into a world of systemic sin. His baptism is a sign that he fully understands the creation-saving impact of the Incarnation. Jesus is God's Son and also Adam's. Heaven and creation are again joined together. Other details about Luke's baptism story are also unique and I think very telling. Jesus is baptized as part of a crowd. We're told now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized. He's not the center of the story, but instead is shown in solidarity with the rest of the damaged, broken people who desperately need God. And the most telling detail, I think, is, is what Jesus does following the baptism and what happens as a result. When Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened. He prays. That's it. And that prayer is the catalyst for the appearance of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and a voice is heard, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is critical, for it shifts the epiphany of this morning from the act of being baptized to the practice of prayer. For Luke, it's all about the prayer. And it's interesting in our own baptismal rite, a prayer follows immediately after the baptism, as if it too seeks to activate the sacrament. We say, Heavenly Father, we thank you that by water and the Holy Spirit you have bestowed upon this your servant the forgiveness of sin and have raised them to a new life of grace. Sustain them, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit. Give them an inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and to persevere a spirit to know and to love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. Amen. Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit is separate from Jesus' baptism, which helps explain this morning's curious second reading from the book of Acts. Now Philip, he of the worshipping Ethiopian eunuch fame, has successfully baptized a bunch of Samaritans. And in our reading, it suggested that that's not enough, that Peter and John had to visit and lay hands so that the Spirit arrives. Now, this seems or sounds like a bit of spiritual one-upmanship, but it speaks to the strange relationship between baptism and a lifelong journey of faith. They aren't cause and effect. They aren't even linear sometimes. We note even later in Acts, in chapter 10, in the miracle of the Pentecost, it begins with the descent of the Holy Spirit and the people of the nations heard speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter realizes Holy Spirit has rested on these Gentiles and cries out something to the effect of, what's keeping us from baptizing them? And they do. So baptism, then Holy Spirit. Or Holy Spirit, then baptism. Yes. 
both hands. The point is that repentance, baptism, forgiveness, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit all belong together. The order they come in varies. Luke gives us one final detail about the Holy Spirit that's equally powerful. After the prayer, heaven opens up and something new comes to earth. Something both tangible in form and indefinable. Like a dove. Not a dove, but like a dove. That is the paradox of the reality, if you will, of spiritual experience. Think about it in your own case. It's both tangible and indefinable. It changes us in powerful ways. It changes our reality, yet it cannot necessarily be felt or touched. In the descent of the Holy Spirit in bodily form, like a dove, we witness something new breaking into creation. It's the inbreaking of a new age, one that continues with us today. In this feast of the baptism of our Lord, we have no baptisms. The church is empty. I'll admit it would be and is easy to despair. Another lockdown, thousands of new cases, the inevitable social and political turmoil that follows it. It's hard to find hope. But Isaiah again, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, on Christmas Eve, you know, in the before times, but not quite before the long times, something like that, we had as close to a full church as we've had in a long, long time. And it was a joyous evening. And just before the service, I noticed that we haven't refilled the baptismal font that usually sits at the entrance to the nave. That goes back to the beginning of the pandemic when we thought the virus could be spread by, by, well, pretty much anything and everything. But I noticed many folks just reflexively, instinctively, dipping their fingers into the empty font and following the sign of the cross. The ritual wasn't diminished by the absence of water, but it just didn't feel right somehow. And that's bugged me ever since. We don't have a baptism but we can use this time to refill the baptismal font. So it'll be here when everyone returns. And everyone will return someday. I promise you. It'll be here waiting for you to complete your sacred ritual. Sealing you with Christ. And that's cause for hope. Hope in chaos. Hope in darkness. So join me as we process back to the font. And fill and say the blessing over the water. Thanksgiving over water can be found on page 306 of the Book of Common Prayer. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is Israel. right to give God thanks and praise. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. 
Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into his fellowship those who come to him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those who are here cleansed from sin and born again may continue forever in the risen life of Christ our Savior. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. So in closing, this morning, let's look up like we're looking up. Let's look up from darkness. And remember Christ's baptism. Remember our own baptism. And remind ourselves of God's eternal affirmation. You are my child, whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. Amen.